From Leader in Me Studios, I'm Molly Garcia. This is The Empowering Teacher. Welcome, everyone. Have you ever felt like your day-to-day life consists of way more unintentional misunderstandings and tough decisions that can make working with others an uncomfortable space to be in? So how do we move from a space of my way or your way to our way, a place where we all win? Today, we're getting real with Sean Covey, the president of Franklin Covey Education and New York Times bestselling author, to ask the question, is it really possible for everyone to win every time? Sean, welcome back to season two of the Empowering Teacher podcast. Thank you, Molly. So good to be with you. I love your podcast. Thank you. Yes, and we love having you on our podcast. This season, we really want to get into how to apply the seven habits in real life. You know, like when things get sticky and they just seem complicated because we know that's when it truly matters. And the title for this episode is Really Can Everyone Win? (laughs) And some of our listeners, they might be thinking, oh, Molly and Sean are going to totally talk about compromise today. It's that idea, you know, where I give a little, you give a little, and we're going to be all good. And it may not be exactly what we want, but at least we got a sliver of the pie. So I want to open up our conversation today with, is that really what the essence of Habit 4 is all about? Yeah. Well, thanks, Molly. Well, I get that question all the time too. I mean, can you, everyone laughs sometimes when they hear the term win-win, right? It's become kind of popularized. You hear it all the time. And then people are a little bit skeptical. Uh, Come on. That's not what it's really like because there's winners and losers in life. The essence of Habit 4, Think Win-Win, is don't don't think about outcomes for a second. Just think about internally, what is your mindset like? And win-win means this. It means your basic mindset towards life is, I want to do well and be happy and successful myself, and I want you to as well. And that's it. That's foundational. And it's you feel that from people. They're they're abundant. They're not threatened by your success. And so it's it's a mindset and it's the foundation to, to good relationships. And if you think about the alternatives are lose win is a paradigm of life. And then some people have that. It's like have your way with me. Everyone else does. I'm a doormat step up. You know what I mean? I'm the good guy. I'm always, I never get my way. That's not a good way of being either. And neither is the opposite of that, which is win-lose, which is I'm going to get ahead. My job is to beat you. Life is a competition. Competition is a good thing in uh, many areas like sports and like the business world because it drives innovation and drives improvement, right? But competition is a bad thing when it comes to relationships. You're not competing when it comes to people and relationships. I remember hearing you say once that the public victory is it's this higher level of being. How does this relate to what you just described with habit four? Well, the private victory in the seven habits is being proactive and beginning with the end in mind, thinking and putting first things first. So it's it's kind of getting control of your own life. And a habit four, five, and six, the public victory, it's a higher way of being because it's hard to think win-win or to seek first to understand, to listen well if you're not mature or if you're insecure, right? And if you don't really have your own foundation put together, it's really hard. And a lot of times people are trying to solve relationship problems with a spouse or a teenage daughter or a colleague, and they just don't have the maturity to handle it. They can't think win-win. They're either lose-win or win-lose. What you have to do sometimes in life is go back and say, 
you know, well, I've got to <laughs> improve my own private victory by taking charge of my life and making sure my end in mind, my goals, my mission, my purpose is clear and making sure that I'm spending time on the things that matter most to me, you know, putting first things first. And that will give you a foundation on which to build so you can be better with the public victory habits. That's resonating with me right now, Sean. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was working with a school and the teacher, when she was teaching this to her students, I mean, everything that you just said right now, she said, it's me before we. And she was talking about how the private victory, the me habits, those are the ones that we're working internally so that we are stronger for those around us and when we engage with others. So me before we is what I'm hearing you say. We've got to work on the private victory so that we can really live habit four. Yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it. I saw my uh, my father, Stephen R. Covey, was a really good model of Think Win Win. He and his brother, my uncle, they were about four years apart. My father's older. And uh, they always got along so well. And I never saw any jealousy between them or competition. They both had big families. And uh, I just watched how they would interact through the years. And they were both always so abundant towards each other, right? It was, you could see that another success was the person's own. For example, you know, my father got a lot of fame and public acclaim, you know, and big author. And my, my uncle, a, a great accomplished person himself, but he could have been become very jealous and it could have threatened him and could have driven a wedge between him and our families. But rather, every time my father got some award, it was like it was his own. <laughs> and it was amazing to see what happened to the next generation because we've I'm best friends with all my cousins on that side because of the example of our parents. And we always kind of felt like we had two dads, you know? Oh, that's awesome. I It's such a great testament to the importance of modeling habit four and really being able to see it, right? Versus just talking about it, but really modeling. And I think about the power of the emotional bank account. I hear that in classrooms all the time. They have EBA deposits off, EBA deposit jars and and opportunities for students to model it and to live it. Can you just share with our listeners a little bit about what is the emotional bank account? And then how does that relate to the effectiveness that we can have with Habit 4? Well, the emotional bank account is a metaphor for the amount of trust you have in a relationship. Uh, just like you have a bank account that might, where you might have a lot of money in it or you might be overdrawn, so it is with relationships with people. Uh, think about someone, Molly, for a second that you have a really big emotional bank account with. You can probably picture that person, right? And you have a lot of, a lot of money. Let's just say you have uh, $100,000 in that bank account, emotional bank account. That takes years to build, right? It's $10 here and $20 there. And over time, the trust is so high that you can communicate so fast. And guess what happens? If you make a small mistake, it doesn't matter, right? You have $100,000 and you make a $20, a $20 mistake, it doesn't really deplete the account, right? And that's why trust continues and you can forgive each other quickly and so forth. And the opposite is true also if you're overdrawn, let's just say your bank account's you know minus $10,000 with somebody. If you make a small withdrawal, they feel it <laughs> and they talk about it. And you got to be so careful and the trust is slow and everything goes slow. And so the whole idea is how do you build a relationship? There's no shortcut. If you're in the hole or if your bank account's really low, you're not going to get there overnight. You can't go from 5000 to 20000 overnight. You've got to do it deposit by deposit. And the ways you 
you know, things you can do to make deposits are like uh, kindness, uh, setting expectations clearly so there's not violated expectations, forgiving another person, keeping a commitment. And, you know, the opposites are true also, you know, unkindnesses or breaking commitments, violating expectations, right, or dishonesty and, and so forth. But it's a great way to think about relationships that they've got to improve a deposit at a time and there's no shortcuts. I love that example that you brought to our listeners, Sean, because oftentimes the minute you ask me to think of someone that I have high trust with, I mean, as I got an instant smile on my face thinking about that person. Like, yeah, this person is just someone I truly trust wholeheartedly, but I don't know that I ever stopped to think about why. With the example you just gave is really, you know, that person, yes, keeps commitments. That person is extremely kind. That person is very forgiving. And when you add those pieces, we start to understand a little bit deeper in, you know, what is it specifically that we can do to build that emotional bank account? And part of that is knowing what currency is a deposit for them versus what might be a withdrawal for them. Can you just touch a little bit on that? Like, how do we go about that? Like, what would you recommend to our listeners for that? Yeah, well, I think it's a really good point you make. The currency is what's important to the other person, right? And currencies aren't always the same. Like for my son, he's 13. I found that his currency is keeping commitments. It's so easy for parents to say, yeah, I'll take you to the store. Uh, a couple of days ago, he's he's got a little motorcycle of his own and he's trying to be a mechanic and he took off the tire and he wants me to go to the store to get it fixed. Well, I told him yesterday at five o'clock when the work ended, I would take him, right? So I knew in the back of my head, this is really important to him. And then my wife called and said, we have a party at six. You need to stay home. <laughs> And help me clean because we've got 40 people coming over. And I thought I had this commitment to my son. So I thought, what am I going to do here? My wife is pretty adamant. And so I thought I've got to go and ask him, right? Wyatt, I'm sorry, but mom needs help. Are you okay if we do this another time? And he was kind of reluctant and upset. But I felt like I, I kept my commitment at least theory, right? But if I did what I did yesterday too many times, that would be a withdrawal. I don't think it was a withdrawal yesterday, but I better follow up on Friday, right? Which I said, hey, we'll do this on Friday. That's his currency. Everyone has different currencies. You know, loyalty is another one, I think, especially for young people. Well, it is for everybody, really. Always be loyal to somebody when they're not around. Somehow it gets back to you if you're being disloyal. And what happens often is just imagine you're with somebody, Molly, and they start bad-mouthing somebody else. And um, you have a choice, right? You can either join in or you could kind of defend that person, right? Without being a superhero, you could say something like, well, actually, my experience with Deanna has been different than yours. I, I actually found that she's really nice or, you know, but being loyal is such an important thing. And if you're always loyal to those who aren't around, it gets around and the person you're defending, for example, the people around you will see that and they'll know that when their name comes up, you'll be loyal to them as well because they know your character, right? That's a way of making deposits is being loyal to other people. Another deposit is listening, being a good listener. For my wife, that's her currency. If I don't spend time on a regular basis talking and really listening I just find our relationship just starts going downhill. <laughs> and so it's just just part of my commitment is I've got to spend quality time and I've got to be a good listener. That's her currency. So everybody has a different currency. And so a good way to think win-win 
is to be thinking about how can I build my relationship with another person? What is it that's important to them? Is it gifts? Is it remembering their birthday? Is it a withdrawal if I remember the birthday late, right? Sorry, your birthday was last week. For some, that would be still as a deposit still, right? For others, it's like a huge withdrawal. So I think understanding their currency is a really important thing. And understanding that this all takes time. It's, it's that idea that, just like you said earlier, building those relationships and leaning into habit four, it's not going to be a quick build. It's going to be something that you build capacity over time in those relationships. It reminds me of this question when you talked about the interactions and knowing others, just their explicit deposits and and what getting to know them. And I'm thinking about how many interactions and decisions that the empowered teacher makes on a daily basis. And and if you think about it, that can be overwhelming. And in every situation, we know there's bound to be disagreements and differing perspectives. So Sean, helping us with this, like taking this reality in what practices can our teachers really pack in their tool belt to help them navigate through these tough situations, whether it's with their students, with their colleagues, with parents? Well, I think that for starters, just always say to yourself, I want to have a basic view of life of always wanting the other person to be successful and to win. And I, I want to be successful and I want to win too. It's both of us. It's not an either or. It just starts with that basic belief. And then I think a, a thing you can do is just always always balance courage and consideration. I think those are those are the two pieces on the scale, right? The two opposite little cups on the scale. It's a really good way of thinking about, I want to have consideration for the other person's point of view. And I want to have the courage to express my own. Because if you're really high on consideration and you're a good listener and you're listening to their side of the story and understanding and empathizing and so forth, but you're low on courage, what usually happens is your unexpressed, you know, unexpressed feelings never die. They're buried alive and come forth later in uglier ways. And uh, you never express how you feel, right? You get into a lose-win kind of situation. And the opposite's true also, right? If you're just always about, you're high on courage, I'm expressing my viewpoint, I'm going to tell it, tell it like it is, but you're low on consideration, you know, I'm not worried about what the other person thinks, then that's, that's win-lose. And so think about your conversations with people. And there's a time to come forth with a little courage, express your viewpoint. There's also a time to listen and to be considerate with the other person. I'm not going to say that thing. I know how bad it would offend them. So I'm going to be considerate of that. But I do feel like I need to express this. And you're expecting them to respond. What we found is that it only takes one person to think win-win. And then good things happen. If you don't mind, I'd love to tell a little story about this, Molly, that happened to me a few years ago. Because I've always been a believer that, you know, win-win is a frame of mind. But you can most of the time find win-win solutions. Not always. Sometimes you have to go for no deal. You choose to disagree. And that's fine. But most of the time you can. So in my job at Franklin Covey, I was in charge of product development. And we decided to license our intellectual property to a technology company that was going to use it in their software. So it was a great deal. They got to use our intellectual property and we got a royalty back from them. And it went on for a couple of years and everything was fine. But then they started advertising in ways that made us really uncomfortable. It was you know, putting up billboards about their product with our content in it. And it just seemed so outside of the scope of our agreement, right? So I went and approached them and said, hey... We're going to have to nix our relationship 
if you don't change your advertising practices. And the person came back and said, are you crazy? We're not doing anything to violate the agreement. You're violating the agreement. And I couldn't believe his gall. And this went back and forth, a few conversations. My emotion right now, Sean, as I'm listening, is like going up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what is going to happen? Yeah. You know, we, we have very seldom ever sued anyone or went to court, right? But this one was pretty bad, and they were not open at all to our influence. And I remember their partner that was the big owner behind this, he said to me before the meeting, I always thought your family was a good family. In fact, I'm good friends with your uncle until now. And it really struck me, and I, <laughs> I felt terrible. We went back and talked with our legal team. They said, we're going to have to go to court. We'll win. Here's why. But I was, that thought of you guys are bad people was still in my head. And then I thought, what are we doing? I thought, what am I doing? This is, we're going to go to court. It's going to cost us both a lot of money. And someone's going to win or lose. And we'll both feel bad. So I called up this partner. And I said, would you mind if we met together and tried to resolve this with, without our lawyers? And I don't know if it's going to work or not, but would you give it a try? Because if we go to court, you know how much it's going to cost both of us. He goes, well, I don't know if it'll do anything, but yeah, sure. So he came over to my office and we said, no lawyers allowed. (laughs) And our legal team said, don't do it. It'll backfire. You might say something you regret. (laughs) But I went ahead anyway. So we met and I just started and I said, I'd just like to understand why you feel like we're violating the agreement and how you see the situation. I got up on my my whiteboard in my office and I wrote down everything he said. took about 20 minutes. And when he was done, I said, let me just read these back to you. Do I I have it right? Is there anything else? He said, yes, a couple more things. I wrote them down. When I did that, I saw his perspective for the first time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can see why you're upset as well. And then I said, would you mind if I shared with you the way you shared with me about how I see it. And for the first time, he was opened by influence because I had listened to him, right? I shared my point of view and he wrote down everything. When it was done, he could see my perspective for the first time. And then it was amazing how the feeling in the room changed completely. We suddenly had mutual understanding. We started advocating for each other. No, no, what? we shouldn't do that. We should try this. We started brainstorming, getting really creative And the whole feeling in the room changed. And within about 30 minutes after we'd listened to each other, we came up with a solution we both felt good about. We shook hands. We parted. He called me up a week later and he said, hey, you want to go to lunch? I said, sure. (laughs) We went to lunch. We laughed. And he said at the end, I always knew your family were good people. (laughs) And we we avoided a huge lawsuit. It was just an amazing experience. And, and even hearing you share that story, it's almost like I went through the little bit of an emotional roller coaster with you. And as you were talking, I'm going through my mind of like those four highly effective practices with habit four. You were balancing courage and consideration, really thinking about what could be the possibilities of a win-win agreement and considering others' wins as well as your own. That happened as a result of I'm going back to what you said about habits one, two, and three, that maturity to lean into habit four and having an abundant mindset. It really was about that abundant mindset that opened up the doors for everything else. And I'm thinking of the teacher that is in a PLC or a grade level meeting and not necessarily seeing eye to eye with a colleague or 
maybe not necessarily really agreeing with what the principal is asking them to do. And so connecting those two together with what you just shared really translates into the world of education and and how we work with others and leaning into the possibility of balancing courage and consideration. Because that's big. (laughs) It's big for us in education, being able to do both. Truly is. I mean, it's the essence of good relationships, uh, thinking when-win. It's a foundation. We often say habits four, five, and six work together. You know, habit four, think win-win is the foundation. And five is the skill and six is the fruit. You know, five is secret to understand it's listening and and six is synergize. It's the outcome you get. But it all starts with thinking win-win and it starts with an abundance mindset, which is basically saying there's enough success in life to go around. Well, Sean, it has been enlightening listening to you again. And you know what? We're going to keep doing this because we're going to journey through habits four through eight this year. And I think we're going to call this little series Getting Real with Sean. And speaking of Getting Real with Sean, we're going to do a variation of our rapid fire questions that we've done in the past with you. And we're going to play a quick game of what would Sean do? Can't wait. (laughs) All right. So here we go. We're going to go with your gut. Super short answers. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Question number one. I can't wait to hear your answer on this one. What would you do if you had to teach a group of kindergartners? However, you could only take one item with you to teach. An apple. <laughs> See, you got it. I know it's short answers, but you got to say more about that. Sean. Oh, okay. I don't know. An apple is you could you could talk a lot about um, photosynthesis, how it grows health qualities. You could talk about junk food. You could do so much with an apple, right? I love that. It's going to be your sentence starter in your morning night. Alone. Looking back, what would you do differently as a young leader? I'd probably just have more fun. Business is hard and being an educator is hard and it's always going to be difficult. So I went to a funeral the other day and um, this lady was 85 and she was a force of nature. And she had this little statement that says, life is short, and full of troubles. So have fun and love each other. And I thought that's, that's a beautiful expression, but I just feel like sometimes we're just too serious about things. We need to laugh more and have more fun. Yeah. Bring some joy in a smile. I love that. All right. Last one. What would you do if you knew you would never fail? I do what I hope to do, which is uh, I'd like to take the seven habits of happy kids and make it into a, a series, a TV series, right? Wow. Like Peppa Pig or like Winnie the Pooh. Oh my gosh, what a great, oh my goodness. I want that to take off like wildfire. (laughs) Me too. Well, yeah, Sean, thank you for having some fun with us today. Everyone, we'll be right back with some more greatness from Sean in just a moment. Have you ever wondered how you can have your students more a part of the student service learning projects at your school? Well, I have a great resource for you. I'm Desiree Cocroft, a coaching consultant with Lear and Me. Many schools ask me, how can I get students a part of it? How can I make students help to initiate this process? And this resource called Empower Student Voice with Service Learning is a great resource to help you see how to get students to think and engage in the process from beginning to end. Check it out on leaderandme.com. Welcome to the Paradigm Pause. Today, Sean invites us into a space of thinking beyond seeing compromise as a win and truly embracing an abundant mindset. He asks us to shift our thinking into looking at the power of mutual benefit, a place where we confidently believe it's about both, not an either or. It's a mindset where we believe and act on what is best for ourselves and those around us. 
When we are strong in our own private victory, we can confidently lean into balancing courage and consideration in those tough conversations. When we keep an abundant mindset as a roadmap, we are open to considering the other person's point of view and are able to courageously express how we feel. It's in this space that we know that there's enough success in the world for everyone. Welcome back, everyone. As you know, we always end our podcast episode with one doable action step and strategy that the empowered teacher can take right back to the classroom. So Sean, keeping habit four at the heart of our conversation, what is one thing our teachers can do to truly lean into habit four that will have a big impact in their lives and in the lives of their students? I think it'd be a great thing to talk about to get a scale, right? One of those classic scales. Mm-hmm. And to teach the concept of courage and consideration to your yeah. students. Yeah. Um, there's so many different ways of, of saying this, right? You could, uh, Cinderella, what did she say? Be kind and have courage, right? Mm-hmm. You can go on and on and find these, all these different ways of saying the same thing, but that's the essence of good relationships and of just being an interdependent person. And so I think getting a scale of some kind and having a, a physical example that you could walk through would be a powerful thing. Yeah, I love that. And embracing both. We need both in our lives, balancing that courage and consideration. Sean, as always, thank you for sharing your genius with us today. And of course, a big thank you to our listeners. Keep shining. You've got this.